You're listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author Sarah Box, where you get the inside scoop on the steps action takers and decision makers take to align their purpose to their principles and achieve their goals in business and life. We focus on the mantra, no labels, no limits, no excuses. Each week, you'll hear from remarkable guests who have overcome challenges and obstacles to succeed in the face of adversity. By listening to their stories, you'll get practical tips, tools, and resources you can implement today to bust through your own internalized prisons of worry and doubt. And now, without further ado, please welcome your commanding coach with plenty of chutzpah and heart, Sarah Box. Welcome to this episode of the No Labels, No Limits podcast, a podcast all about helping action takers and decision makers like you align their purpose to their principles and achieve their goals in business and life. Hi, I'm Sarah from Sarah Box Coaching and Consulting, where we help nonprofit executives lead strategically and achieve impact in the world, all while staying heart-centered and true to who they are. I'm a former executive director, a believer in people and possibilities, and the best-selling author of The Changemaker Ripple Effect, a book all about how one person's drive, purpose, and ambition with boldness can impact thousands. So joining me on today's episode as co-host once again is the marvelous Beck Japovich. Beck is the founder and principal of Beck Japovich Communications, where she helps purpose-driven people craft their brand voice. And we're here to tell you that the life you want is possible with the right support, mindset, and strategy. Beck? Hey, Sarah. Before we meet our guest, I wanted to share two more five-star reviews of the show. This one is from 808LC. Curious name, huh? (laughs) Well, here it is. It says, out of the box. Sarah is an excellent interviewer and she finds guests full of wisdom, tips and tools to share through their stories. If you're looking for some jaw-dropping inspiration to keep you living your no labels, no limits, no excuses life, you found it. And the second one is from RunDMC19. Thanks for that cool name. Who cheers us on with this? Empowerment, podcast sharing women's stories of success in a fun and inspiring way. Great job. Well, thanks so much for sharing both of those reviews. You know, Beck, it's really um, nice when people review because it does a couple of things. It helps us get the word out to other people. Plus, it's just kind of fun to read what people take away from our work when, you know, we're talking into a void when we do these interviews. We just don't know. So on today's podcast, we are being joined by Andrea Rowe, copywriter and communication strategist who lives with her husband and two children on a sand dune tucked into the corner of a coastal national park on the southern edge of Australia. She is obsessed with finding the right words to connect people and purpose. She is a professional copywriter of newsletters and communication strategies for some of Australia's and New Zealand's most respective not-for-profits and charities. And I meant to say most respected, not most respective. She has firsthand knowledge of nonprofits as the proud founder and president of the Peninsula Writers Club, which serves writers in the Mornington Peninsula of Victoria, Australia. Now, some of us dream about working from the road. I'm one of those people. And Andrea's done that. She has traveled Australia twice with her two kids and husband for months on end. Now, if you're not familiar with Australia, 
That is not a small continent. So I have questions about that. But all the while, she worked from their camper trailer, and it was an experience that she calls the best adventure. If that's not inspiring enough, on the weekends and by the light of the midnight riding moon, Andrea is also a children's author with her first book out in January 2021. You know, I'm just kind of inspired having read all that to all of you. In this episode, though, you're going to hear how Andrea knew from a really young age that words and stories were going to pave her way, how she narrowed her skills and experiences to zero in on her passions and priorities, and then what happened when she did that, and how she manages her family, health, professional, community, and writing while traveling around Australia, living in different countries, including the U.S., Canada, and France, and managing her rheumatoid arthritis. So now, with all of that, let's welcome our guest, Andrea Rowe. Hi, Andrea. Hello. Gee, I'd like to meet her too. I know, pretty fabulous. (laughs) I know. And I have to say, you know, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast here because, you know, we've been in the same copywriting community for a few years and I just find that your presence and your generosity to help other people is just so inspiring and it's wonderful to be speaking to you today and learning more about your story and sharing your story with America and Australia. Thanks Beck so much and I I really you know I'm lucky that I just get to hang out and connect and um, chat to so many great people. Well with that let's just dive in. Um, Andrea Do you have like a non-negotiable or a ritual or habit that you do daily that keeps you focused towards your big vision? Um, Mine is extremely simple, but I need to get up before anyone else in my house. I need to have a very strong cup of tea uh, and it needs to be in a teapot and it cannot be a tea bag. I am a leaf girl all the way, uh, loose leaf, and um, I need to have a strong cup of tea no matter where I am in the world. Um, My friends laugh at me for travelling with a Ziploc bag of tea um, and uh, a notebook. I always seem to have a thought as soon as I wake up. But if I can have that moment before anyone with with tannin. You're coffee right? (laughs) The world is cool. I coffee, yeah. But I, I understand the tea. I mean, it's just a certain refreshment. I get that, and it's, you know, it's got that whole whole ritual behind it as well. Making it for me, I think mm. starting my day with a pot with my leaves, waiting. Then I have to actually wait till they brew. Mm. It's a nice way to start, but also it gives me an excuse. To, I just I just need to get up before anyone else in my house. I'm with my teapot. <laughs> I love that. It's patience and clarity. There you go. I love it. So. Andrea, can you kind of start by telling us how your love of words and storytelling actually shaped your education and career path? Oh, well, I loved, like all good bookworms, I loved great reading as a kid and I I loved being lost in books and the power of a wonderful story that can just sweep you away and draw you in. And um, for me, I think I recognised very quickly that words was a great connection um, and uh, a way of understanding things that didn't often make sense to you. Um, so, So from a young age... I was always writing and um, writing, you know, school newsletters, church newsletters, you name it. If someone had a had some information to get out, I was wrestling it from them to write it. Um, and it 
took me very quickly into um, a lot of doing a lot of speeches and um, uh, we call them things like Toastmasters and things like that in Australia. They might be um, internationally as well. But I was always always talking uh, and writing the words that we needed to talk. And then from there, I went very quickly into university to do a media degree. And my dream was always to be a journalist. So I went very quickly into radio production and news reading. I enjoyed it, but, um, you know, I knew there was other other ways of shaping a story and shaping the words. So uh, I had a roundabout travelling life uh, and then very quickly found my way into media, marketing, PR um, and a media advisor for a government minister as well and in a media role. So that was all really about finding words, finding a narrative, um, finding a way to shape um, discussion and dialogue. Uh, And there I moved into my own business eventually too. So words have been my constant companion in life. I love them. <laughs> so when you're writing for your clients now, are you still doing like the speeches piece or when you say copywriting, is it really um, even niche down more than that? So um, I niche very much so with not-for-profits and impactful organisations, so organisations and associations that are trying to either advocate for change or representation. So a lot of that copy that I'm writing can be a mixed bag. Often it's newsletters, um, sometimes it's CEO speeches, sometimes it's um, annual reports, it might be websites and blogs, or often it's campaign material that are particularly focusing on uh, um, the need to connect with the wider public to get them on board or um, seek funds as well. So quite a mixed bag. Uh, And sometimes it's even social media content to sort of build up that narrative that that conveys the why and the wherefore of an organisation as well. So I love that variety because you have to exercise different writing muscles or, or try different writing styles for the different ways people are coming to that information or, or where they're even reading the material. Let's make up a mythical nonprofit, which is probably similar to many you've worked with. They have multiple audiences right? They've got their board, they have their internal, the externals, people who don't even know about them. But, you know, if you said something about what their purpose was, they go, yeah, that sounds great. So typically, when you start working with an organization, Andrea, how broad do they come and say, we need you to do everything? And how much do you have to help them really focus in on what's their purpose in writing so that you're really helping them understand how to hone the message to get the results? Sure. Well, particularly the I find the emerging or the, the startup not for profits are oh, where do we start? Um, how do we convey everything? So uh, and and then of course you've got the more the, the more focused areas where they're coming to me saying we have a campaign that we need to speak to X, Y, and Z, or we're trying to articulate this program. Um, to present it back to the board. So uh, I, it's funnily enough, I quite, quite love um, both approaches. I think it keeps me on my toes, particularly with the emerging not-for-profits. It, it's often sort of unpacking uh, a strategy for, okay, what can we do in the short, ter- short term and then the long term? So what can we do in the first year of your um, existence? What are we aiming to get to by year two, year three and year five? So often it's, it's kind of a staged 
strategic plan, so to speak, where we say we want all of that, but realistically with funding and with time and resources, we can only do this. Here's where you'll get more bang for your buck or here's where you're best putting all your rabbits into this hat, speaking of the rabbit hole. Uh, and, and for the more specific ones, I think um, for those guys, I really like to unpack and understand the audience's motivation. So if it's something where we've got to represent something that's got to go through the board hoops, it's, um, you know, what the board's questions often are, you know, um, so I can understand do I need to bring more stats and figures and research into this um, uh, so that we can sort of see how the board can be on board. But at the end of the day, it comes down to understanding what that audience's questions might be. Beck, you know, you work with a lot of entrepreneurs as well. Does that sound pretty similar to your approach and your thought process when you're doing copy and helping people think through? Um, because it, um, what Andrea is sharing is very strategic as well as having a great product. I'm just wondering if your approach is similar or if it's you see yeah. it different. Yeah, it, it, it depends on, on who you're working with, definitely, and, and then what the budget is that they've got. So I feel like when I'm working with um, companies that mightn't have a big budget, there's not a lot of strategy that we can like put into that time that we're working together. So sometimes the client I'll have will uh, won't have that budget. So then, the, yeah, so the, the focus is on, you know, the audience's um the audience's mindset and all of that that Andrea was speaking about. Um, but I really enjoy doing the strategic piece. So I do, you know, bring it in as much as I can with my clients because, you know, without a strategy, you're just talking narrative and I don't feel like you get a, you don't get the traction, you know, to make the change that you want. Um, and and I think, you know, in Andrea's field of not-for-profits, you know, that's so important. We you need to have that bigger picture because you're trying to make an effect in the community and in society. And um, some of the businesses that I have, they, they're not that I work with, they're not about that, you know. So it's, it's quite similar and different. <laughs> and that's what I find interesting, Beck, is that some of my clients, a bit like you, they, they don't have the budget either for the strategy. Mm-hmm. They just have a small pocket of funds with this financial mm-hmm. But I'm, uh, and I, I do appreciate that and just roll up the shirt sleeves and get in and do what they need. But I kind of can't help myself off in there, too. What I like about what both of you said, both, you know, you both do the strategy when you're able to, like the more in depth piece of it when it's possible. But that always does for me, strategy really is based on answering the question why? Why are we spending this money on? project right now like what's your objective for this so whether we don't have we may not have time to do a whole plan around it if we're not clear on why we're just kind of doing effort right well we don't exactly know if it's having any kind of impact so mm-hmm. absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. Mm. so andrea i want to know how did you narrow your skills and experiences to zero in on your passion and priorities and what happened when you did Sure. Well, I think, look, I'm a humanitarian at heart and mm-hmm. uh, I am always drawn to something that, that can make a difference or can really connect. So for me, the journey was more about it kind of found me unintentionally or accidentally. I was a minister's media advisor and I was working for an, an environmental agency as their media manager, um, went off to have children, um, moved to a, a more regional area um, after 
the second child, I decided I didn't want to keep committing and returning back to my corporate life um, and thought I'd have a little bit of a break and just diddle about with my books. And then the, I used to work with a lot of not-for-profits and community organisations through the environmental agency I worked with um, and through the minister. So uh, sort of one person tapped me on the shoulder, then the other one started tapping and I thought, well, actually, maybe I could sort of set this business up from home. I'd never thought about that for myself, um, but maybe this might work for me. So it was sort of this um, accidental two-step that started to happen uh, and then it sort of snowballed very quickly. The next not-for-profit recommended me to the next one and, um, um, you know, obviously I was delivering the goods and people were happy with that and it, it worked around my lifestyle but also, it, more importantly, it worked around my value set as well so I could accommodate um, sometimes, you know, areas are a little bit grey, but I accommodated that because it, it worked around what I felt sort of matched my idea of, um, you know, a, a life that I wanted to live. So um, mm. that's sort of how that's flowed really from me. So I'm curious about who your, what, what, the fa- what your favourite campaign is that you've worked on with, with some of these not-for-profits. And if you could talk about that. Look, I think I've got a soft spot, obviously, for the environment um, and uh, um, protection of wild places and, and, and special places. But, uh, you know, are, are, are place keepers of history and culture and fantastic animals. So I have a lot of favourites. Probably uh, um, one special one, only because it was so unique and so special, and this was uh, many years ago, um, I'm married to a park ranger and we went, to Canada to live on a ranger exchange and I managed to end up work, uh, working with a not-for-profit um, in Algonquin Provincial Park and uh, that was an amazing experience in that I was writing all of their material that were um, they were actually saleables that, that helped fund a lot of the naturalist programs in the park. I was learning to speak uh, slightly right in a different voice because um, uh, some of the vernacular that Australians use are not what Canadians use. Plus, I had to write material that was bilingual, um, that was translated into uh, French Canadian. That I, I love that. I love that that about copywriting and and the the work that we do is that you are like learning to to write in different vernaculars. You know, like I have some US clients and um, and I love it. It's it gets the it keeps you on your toes, like you said, keeps your mind active. Tired of feeling stuck and ending with the same result? Want to know how Sarah can help you with one-on-one or organisational coaching? Then book your free discovery call at sarahbox.com forward slash contact. Now, back to the show. And so your husband is a park ranger. Yes. The which man is awesome. <laughs> That's so cool. It is awesome. It's given us lots of experiences and adventures. Um, he's been a park ranger for 30 years. So when you marry a park ranger, you're marrying someone with a vocation, not a job. So it's it's certainly brought a lot of um, goods and bads into our life, predominantly goods. <laughs> so, you know, you've, you've got this business now. You're working um, more flexibly. You're not going back to your corporate life and you've got um, – a husband who can sort of pick up a job anywhere, I suppose, being a park ranger. It's more, um, so we've lived in lots of different fantastic locations, but we're pretty settled on our little uh, corner pocket in the sand dunes down here um, of the, the end tip of Australia. 
at the moment, <laughs> never say never. But um, when you work for a government agency for a long time, you have long service leave. So we've had a couple of incidences where he's had a really extended long service program. So you're paid to be on an extended holiday. So we've just sort of basically gone, well, it's time to take off. So five years ago, um, we we ticked the box of the family dream of let's pack up the family and hit the road and see how far we can get. And that was uh, uh, American, American Canadian terms, it's 15,500 miles, so in seven months. So that was fantastic. So that's 25,000 kilometres. Last year, we hit the road for about eight weeks or so, um, filling in the dots of the map that we didn't get to last time. So for, for me, uh, the, the first trip, it was really important. My business was at a really um, uh, healthy stage and I needed a holding pattern to happen. Um, so I spent a lot of time looking at how some of that holding pattern could call in other specialists to help me keep things ticking over and how others could just be still me doing the work. Um, it was very interesting because we certainly weren't um, living in a lot of comfort in a very um, pokey little camper trailer and often areas where there was no internet. So you had to go to sort of rocky outcrops to file a story. But what was fantastic about it was along the way I picked up clients and that's how I picked up one of Australia's um, Australia's top charity, um, the Royal Flying Doctor Service. They started um, noticing um, some act activity that I was doing on social media um, about my Royal Flying Doctor's observations along the way and they so when I got back to Victoria, eventually they had a meeting with me and asked me to start developing some uh, strategies for them and now I write their kids club and then I developed a kids club program for them so I write that newsletter as well. So, um, Wow, so that's fascinating. The second time around though, I decided um, it was too short a time to keep working and um, I'm at that stage with kids where they're about to not want to hang around with this. So it was really important that I really put the business on hold but it was eight weeks and every time I was willing to wait so I was delighted with that that I could still retain them um, so it was worth doing but it was uh, a lot of red dust out there. <laughs> so did you have a um, team or some support keeping things going in the background while you were gone Andrea? The first time I had a number of trusted colleagues where I either sort of had part management, they did some work for me and then I sort of quality controlled or, um, or took in the brief um, and then took elements from it. Uh, and um, uh, I also had a couple of people that I could call on if I felt like I was just not able to fulfil the brief at the last minute. So, But there are a couple of times where I just said, no, this job's all me. I'm, I really need to do all of this. So we'd look at the map and find a, you know, broom at the top of Australia or somewhere else and say, right, we're going to have to live in a caravan park for 10 days and my husband will just go off and do the road trips with the kids and I'll just smash it out and find a camp kitchen and get it done. So um, not look anyone in the eye because everyone's in holiday mode and if you do see people, they want to have a chat. So you just be heads down, headphones on, smash it out. But um, and it wasn't High always, heroin. <laughs> well, it wasn't always fun. You're a little bit jealous of the family heading off to a rock pool or a waterfall or a hike. Um, but it, it afforded us 
other opportunities then too. So then we could say, great, we're going on that, you know, iconic experience because, you know, this has kept the bills coming. The, you know, we're paying the bills. We're making this possible. So it was, it was something I was yeah. proud of doing. <laughs> With all the different places that you've traveled, Andrea, you know, you talked about being in Canada, you lived in the States for a while, you've been in France and obviously throughout Australia. What similarities do you find across people? Are there, in terms of like what we think about, what motivates us, all of that, are there similarities that really stood out to you as a storyteller? Gee, we're all really motivated by the same things, you know, love, comfort, safety, um, you know, we, we really do want the same things no matter your living situation. Um, you know, we, we all enjoy laughter, happiness. We all need to cry. You know, there's, there's no difference what country you live in and I know, Beck, you would find that too. Um, there's different ways of expressing it and there's different traditions that you would call on to, um, you know, commemorate that. But largely we're all motivated by the same things. And I find people fascinating. I mean, I like being mm. and I like talking to people and um, I like listening to people and um, thinking about what makes them tick or, or, you know, I'm always fascinated about different people's passions or, or, um, or even backstories. I love that when you travel, you know, you can taste these great, great meals, you can see great views. You can click the box and check in at amazing, iconic places. But what what really makes, you know, a travel experience is the stories you learn and the, the stories you hear, um, the people you meet. And that's what I love about the whole travel experience. And I think back um, to all of the places I've lived and worked in and I'm always reflecting on the people that made those memories. Um, you know, once or twice there might have been an animal in there or kind of something weird that happened with the scenery but mostly it's it's the people um oh yeah I agree I mean you know like last year I spent three months in Serbia living with my son and working over there and and you know it's it's exactly what you said people have so much so much similarity no matter where where you're from on earth and it's it may be expressed differently but it's all about the relationships and the stories that you learn from the relationships in, in, in every country that you go to. And I loved following your trip back. It, it, it took me back a little bit to, to living in France where I didn't know anyone and um, remembering that um, that trepidation of, of how you sort of find your groove with other people too. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, it's not an easy road, but it's, it's really worthwhile, particularly mm. more so sometimes when you reflect back. I think it was you who said, you know, take take a week or two to settle into the new culture, and then it'll it'll you know you'll find your way. So yeah. that's good advice. Yeah. And I think the thing about any form of travel is you have to get to a point where you have to suspend what you know and what's familiar to you, and just open yourself up. I sound a bit sort of woo woo there, but I mean just open yourself up to new things you're going to be experience and learn and have a bit of fun with it. You know, when I lived in Canada, I became a, an avid twitcher, a bird watcher, and um, I don't necessarily do it at home. But in Canada, I was all about birding because I just went, oh, this is it's. This is a whole new thing to learn. That and, is so cool. I love and that. In France, I was, you know, all about sort of, um, you know, skiing all the time and just obsessing about the freshest of powder. So I think it gives you a chance to try different lives and different ways of being, which is great. Just yeah. go and be open to it. 
Yeah, and I've been thinking about that a lot in these current coronavirus times because obviously travel isn't as open to us all at the moment and, you know, there's a little bit of perhaps grief or disbelief that goes with that, that for a while that won't be our lives or maybe our children's lives where we were hoping it would be for them. And so when I've been thinking about that, I've been thinking about, well, how I take that sense of wonder and um, fantastic sense of adventure and apply it to my own neighbourhood or community or backyard as well. And um, some of that is a little bit hard to sort of quite imagine, but, you know, it might be we're seeing different things in society all the time. People are going, well, I'll become a baker with my sourdough or I'll become a gardener in the backyard. And uh, so I'm sort of trying to shift some of that. Um, you know, I've started to chat to the bee rescue neighbours over the back fence because I didn't know much about bees and now I do. So, you know, I think it's just taking that and finding something new to, to learn um, or to enjoy and have a wonder about. Yeah, we've definitely been doing some outdoor rock climbing, my son and I, and exploring some of the, the local areas, which is really interesting. That's fantastic. So, Sarah, what have you been doing? <laughs> I, you know what I've uh, Andrew Andrea I was thinking when you're talking about bird watching someone introduced me to that when I was like 18 my uh, really good girlfriend of mine her parents and I thought that is the corniest thing I ever heard right but <laughs> what happened was I said oh that's a blackbird and she looked at me and she goes Mm, it's black, but it's not a blackbird. I said, how do you know the difference, right? But what it did was it taught me to look small, like to look at the details. And I realized you look small. The first thing starts small. And if you're up in the mountains where there's rocks, they're all small. But then all of a sudden, it's so beautiful. So I think I've done that in my neighborhood as well. I'm glad you said it may sound woo-woo, but I walked around and I'm, you know, the cottonwoods are dropping their little white things right now. And I'm not allergic to them, so they don't annoy me, but they almost look like little fairies floating on the air. And so I'm thinking, well, that's kind of cool. I've also become chief cook for most of the meals here, which, you know what, that, that wasn't my gig. I don't mind doing it. I don't mind doing it when I feel like doing it. But I'm really, it's like, hey, what's for dinner? I'm thinking, that's not funny anymore. <laughs> Same. I hear you on that. I really hear you on that. Oh, so my goodness. response now is vegetables. Anybody want anything different? You know, we're having vegetables. What would you like to go with it, right? Because then they'll figure out the rest of it. Because I'm always up for veggies. So that's a good anyway, strategy. I've just been trying to keep humor. Honestly, what I've been doing is digging in a lot more to the time I have to rethink what I want mm. to put back yes. into my life when we've got a little more openness going. And really, mm. Andrea, mm. like this whole thing, co-hosting with Beck mm. was a creative thing. It was kind of like, let's do something different. We've got the time to try it out and see how it goes. Um, mm -hmm. And so I've been trying to add in the creative things that I had been like, when I get time, I will do those things. It's like, now's a good time. That's what I've loved about um, being really inspired by people like you guys during this time that you just sort of say, let's give something a crack that we normally haven't done. And let's just, you know, we've got nothing to lose. Um, so let's see what we'll gain from it. And I've enjoyed seeing so many different people go in really different directions, um, but maybe not that different. They've just had a little bit more of um, space to explore and experiment. Yeah. It's really motivating to go, oh, I can do this too maybe, you know, in, in this space. And Yeah, um, it really is. Yeah. And the and irony is that, honestly, nothing's different, right? 
we had the time and we had the space, but we told ourselves, no, we've got to stay doing what we're doing because mm-hmm. blah, 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 whatever. We make up these really interesting stories that stop us from kind of going forth. But, mm-hmm. but then all you need is like someone like, I think, what would be fun? Who? And this is really how, you know, formal I am. I want to do this. Who would be, Beck would be fun. Let's see. <laughs> so I, but I love that. Because and she goes, here. I'm up for it. <laughs> I love it because as much as you're strategic and you're doing great work in the world, you still are following your intuition and finding what is fun for you, finding what feels good. And that's important as women. I mean, anything. It is. So we're going to start wrapping this up a little bit. And we want to ask you, Andrea, you know, you have a really generous free offer for everybody in the listening audience, which is going to be a large number of folks. Could you share more about that? Sure. Well, so I do a lot of newsletter writing with not-for-profits and a lot of unpacking of their um, of, of their narrative and their, their purpose as well. So a lot of the not-for-profits I work with um, are, are sometimes stuck with what stories do we need to tell? What, what, what do people actually want to hear that's new and fresh? Um, so a lot of the times I'm uh, sort of revisiting newsletter content. So I've got a newsletter health check offer where I um, give people the opportunity to share their past newsletters with me. I do a little bit of an audit and assessment of how they're travelling with the with the content um, and and the audience they're talking to. I identify some gaps where perhaps they're missing missing some opportunities, and I look at things like developing some content that will um, will address some more of the pain points for the people that would normally support or be engaged with their um, charity. Um, And then I sort of come up with some sort of more um, engaging headlines that will draw people into the copy and some very specific call to actions as well. Um, This health check that I use um, uh, is sort of a fairly strong template that people can then take away. I love helping where I can and I think the, the great thing is people often overlook or, or get a little bit um, exhausted with um, addressing their blogs or their newsletters and sort of do that, oh, my goodness, I'm here again. What am I going to say? Um, so sometimes it's nice to have someone come in with that fresh eye uh, and there's sort of a, I call myself the newsletter cheerleader, so to speak, and sort of, you know, I like to rip the get cheerleader <laughs> and tell them that uh, and reassure clients that, you know, there is a space for your newsletter to work and to, to help bring in that audience or those funds that you need. I love that. And where can people find that uh, newsletter health check link? Sure. They can hop onto my website, andrearoe.com.au, and it's uh, at the moment I think if you sign up for my newsletter, you actually do get a link through to it or you can just pop a message through on my contact page and I will tell you more about it and send that little form through as well. Fabulous. Well, I really want to thank you for all your time today, both of you. Um, Andrea, I just have so much enjoyed meeting you and how diverse you are. And um, I just think it's inspirational and that you give hope to folks who think they have to be all to everything. Or, and even as you're talking about the newsletter checkup, I'm going, you know, just have someone tell you that your newsletter doesn't suck, 
right? Because sometimes, <laughs> truthfully, you work, you work on something, you're thinking, oh, I'm not even putting this out. And then to have someone just objectively go, here's where it's good. This is a couple of tweaks you could make and, and it would be more consumable and you'd be speaking to who you think you're speaking to. So that's such a value add, folks. And I really hope that you take Andrea up on her offer. Um, so when you get a ton of people, let us know. We'll want, we'll want to know. Oh, I'd love to. And I think the thing about having a newsletter, a newsletter supporter, is it's all about having someone recognise um, and respect the work you've already done or the journey you've come on so far, but respond with some sort of more helpful um, suggestions that you can can feel ownership and confidence about moving forward as well. So it's always good fun to be a part of that. Absolutely. And to be part of this chat. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I had so much fun. And if you've had fun listening to this chat as well, please remember to share this podcast with someone else that you think will get value from this conversation. And Sarah, remember to... Well, if you like what you heard, and we'd appreciate if you would review the podcast also, because, you know, your positive reviews, you heard us read a couple today, and, and we've done it a few times before, but really that does help get the word out to more people. And our goal really is to help more people um, have the life that they want, do the work that's meaningful to them, live from their passion, and in short, just help people live a no labels, no limits, no excuses life because it's doable. You've been listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author, change agent, and strategic vision coach, Sarah Box. You can grab the show notes and find out how to work with Sarah at sarahbox.com forward slash no labels, no limits podcast. We'd love this podcast to reach as many people as possible. So please remember to rate, leave a five-star review and share the podcast with someone you think would get value from this conversation. Until next time, keep taking those daily action steps to align your purpose to your principles and achieve your goals in business and life.